Hello and welcome to episode six of Disky Discussions. I'm your host, A.B. Vasson. The international break is over. Domestic football will return to our screens this weekend. There's an exciting round of African Cup of Nations qualifiers across the African continent. Algeria, Senegal, Mali and Tunisia punching their ticket for Cameroon 2022. I'm excited to discuss all of this and more with SABC journalist and African football expert, Vilile Mjandu. Vilile, thanks for joining me. Um, we've just come off a very busy week on the African continent with AFCON qualifiers. Um, South Africa were involved in, in back-to-back games against South Somo and Principe in South Africa and Durban and Port Elizabeth, respectively. Let's start at home. Uh, what did you make of of the first two games, of, of, of our two games, uh, you know, in South Africa um, against a team, you know, ranked 182nd in the world? Uh, in the end, we got six points, which matters most. But how does it bode for the rest of the qualifying campaign? Well, um, thanks, uh, AB. Thanks for the invite and thanks for the opportunity to to be here. Um, look, if you've been following the Afcon qualifiers, uh, there was a time when you talk about teams like Djibouti, you talk about uh, uh, Comoros, you talk about uh, Sao Tome and Principe, um, you talk about uh, a number of these teams, uh, even your Madagascar to an extent. Um, you can say even Equatorial Guinea for that matter. You know, um, you you will just look at running over them. But if you look at um, not even just these qualifiers, even before this, you know, I will take you back to the Afcon, and um, and you saw what Madagascar did there. Uh, they top, they didn't only top their group, but they they also shocked Nigeria as well. They beat Nigeria in the final yeah. tournament. Now we're not yeah. just talking about qualifiers. So African football has moved away from that premise of um, if a team is ranked 160 um, on, on the rankings and 160th, and it just becomes an easy team. No, it, it's, it's not easy like that. And you saw with the application of um, a, a team like uh, Sao Tome and Principe, you know, um, because they know that they've got their strengths and their strengths was um, on, on, on the aerial balls. It was on the physicality. It was also on the pace. If you saw how they were using their pace on the wings, especially how they were targeting uh, their left hand side, our left hand side of the defense uh, in the first game uh, and how they were emphasizing on the aerial balls. Um, I mean, both goals coming from a, a set play the first game in, 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 in the first goal in the second game. And bear in mind, it was also scoring for the first time. But I would also like to take you back uh, to their second game, uh, which they lost uh, to Ghana. They only lost it by one goal to nil, mm. you know? Uh, and that was through a penalty uh, in, in, in Ghana. So that's why sometimes when I read and, and listen to the statements that... Uh, <laughs> it's a foregone conclusion that uh, Sudan will beat them um, in, in South Tome in principle. I say, wait, uh, are our people following football? But I, I, you see, generally, I think this is just, it's, and it's my personal opinion. It's always been my view that uh, in South Africa, maybe as journalists also were guilty, uh, but also even our people, we don't seem to follow. And sometimes I listen to even people when they analyze the game on the African continent. They don't do that with a bit of authority um, because people don't really seem to know what is happening out there, especially outside South Africa. Yeah. You know, um, for me, even when 
if we are going to meet a North African country or even uh, a West African country, you'll find that uh, besides the players that are playing in Europe, we don't seem to have much detail on who we're going to meet. You understand? And what, what goes on there? And sometimes I feel that um, if I look at the reactions of even playing against our tournament principal, I knew, I knew, even before we played against them, that you cannot take them lightly. You understand? You cannot take them lightly because the fact that a formidable team that beat us 2-0 in Ghana struggled to win in uh, South Tome and Principe, it tells you that um, there is something. But obviously, when it comes to quality, meeting quality, um, if you can see how we're missing the chances um, in the first game, especially in the second game, so those are the areas where we need to capitalize. Yeah. But we cannot dismiss the teams because they are ranked um, very lowly in the FIFA rankings. And we dismiss them as, you know what, we, we need to run all over them. Mm-hmm. African football has long moved away from that. We saw that with Sierra Leone um, over two legs against Nigeria, that incredible game in Benin City 4-4. Do you think as South Africans, sometimes we are a bit guilty of rating ourselves too highly? Uh, and on the back of that, where, how do we get to the level where we have players like a Riyad Mahrez, a Hakim Ziyech, a Mohamed Salah in our team running the show? I mean, if you look at Algeria, for example, um, you know, they're 22 games unbeaten now, which includes their run to the Afghan title. Um, do you think... How long will it take us to reach that level? Um, and do you think we've got the capacity to reach that level? Do we need to have more players in Europe? How do we get it right? Um, it's a very interesting question that you're asking me because uh, there used to be a time when um, the Egyptian team was dominated by a squad of locally based players. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is at the time when even uh, Egypt was winning Afghans back to back. Um, but uh, things have changed now. But also, you will also um, acknowledge that this is a period where they were also struggling to qualify to the World Cup. You know, uh, in 2010, they came very close to qualifying to the World Cup. Um, obviously, the, uh, I, I think Algeria upstaged them there. Um, but then again, uh, eventually, they went to the World Cup uh, Egypt in uh, 2018. And but this is the time when um, the likes of uh, Mo Salah, the Trezeguet, uh, you know, um, these are the players um, who, who have been playing in Europe, but they moved away from that. And also, um, it's well and good to look at uh, how this Algerian team has came back now, um, especially if you look at the team that went to um, the 2013, in fact, 2014 World Cup, you know, um, and, and the team that they have now, I mean, Jamal Belmadi, I think, is one on what? Is it 20, uh, 23 games unbeaten now? Yeah, 22, I think. Yeah, yeah, 22 games unbeaten now. Uh, I think the last game the last game they lost was an Afghan qualifier against Benin, you know? Um, but if you follow, Algeria has also struggled in the past, you know? Uh, in fact, I think before Belmadi, uh, they changed four coaches, you know? in a space of two years, if not one year, you know? So it's, it's not something that just came up like this, you know? And I think one of the challenges we're having in South Africa 
um, is to the majority of our team is locally based players. And when I look at this, uh, South Africans, they are still divided um, based to their club allegiances. Mm. And we have this tendency of overrating our players um, when they play at their clubs. And when it comes to the national team, we expect them to perform miracles. You know, and, you know, I, I, sometimes I look at the comments uh, that will say, when, the, when, when Bafana Bafana is in camp, and they will say they can't wait for local football to start. But these are the same players who are in the national team, and then they're going to go back. You understand? So it means that there is something that is missing in terms of quality at local level. You know, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because, look, for other countries in Central Africa, in East Africa, in West Africa, it's every player's dream there to go and play in Europe. You know? Um, but for a African player to go and play in Europe, the money must be good because he's coming from an environment where um, it's easy for a African player to get uh, close to two million rand a season. You know, um, I will tell you about the situation of um, one player who moved from Belgium back to the local league and came here to earn almost three times what he was getting in Belgium. Would a player from West Africa or East Africa do that? No. No. Because, see, so there are a lot of factors. There are a lot of factors. And the factors, you have to break them down, you know, because this, 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 these are very important. Um, someone like Yaya Toure, you know, someone like Michael Essien um, didn't just move from uh, Ghana uh, or Cote d'Ivoire and move straight uh, to, the, to a French league or to an EPL. They move to the Ukrainian leagues, you know. Um, they move to some small leagues. Would a second player do that? You understand? So, yeah. so, so, so now, it, what, what does this mean? It then means that if, as the PSR, uh, we are this competitive commercially and in terms of retaining our players, the best thing we must do now is to produce a quality player, is to have strong uh, technical uh, platforms. You understand? Um, you don't have a situation where, and this is, this is where, for me, I, I brought up the, up, up the point this week. That at the club, if your coach doesn't even have a minimum requirements in terms of the coaching qualifications needed, um, in terms of a skilled training of coaching. And they are internationals at this club. What do you expect will happen? You know? So, hence I'm saying all these factors, you know, then they, they then inform um, this situation. But also, also coming back to your point now, we also have that element of uh, sometimes we, we overrate ourselves, you know? And, yeah. and we don't know what's happening outside South Africa, you know? And we feel that what's happening here within our cocoon is the best, you understand? And, and, and for me, um, these are all these things. So in an ideal world, in an ideal world, is that Bafana Bafana should be represented by um, players who are playing 
at a very high level um, standard in, in Europe. But then you'll ask me a question again, how many players do we have who are playing regularly um, in your EPL, in the La Liga, in the Bundesliga? You know, just those three. Yeah. I know we like to talk about the top five, but just those three. I've not mentioned uh, Syria, you know? So, and then the countries that you're talking about now, the Kerala Lions, um, uh, Algeria, you just look at their squad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're in the Champions League week in, week out, you know? And, and, and if we don't have those players, at least the players must then be players who are constantly um, playing in the quarterfinals or semifinals of the CAF Confed or the CAF Champions League. And how yeah. many of our clubs do that? You know, so I, I think it's high time that uh, we we seriously need to have an honest conversation about the standard of our football. You know, yeah. And and, and how do we do, do we make sure that uh, we, we we keep it at a, a high quality level? You touched briefly on on coaching licenses, and I think we can also touch on club licensing. Um, we've seen a lot of status selling in South Africa. Uh, I mean. TS Galaxy are new to the league. We've got obviously Swallows FC have bought a status. Amazulu are in a different form. Now we can go on and on and on. Um, how how bad is that for the South African game? And not just the club licensing, but coach licensing. You know, we we saw on Twitter um, this week that there's a certain coach that has taken over at at Baroka FC, and we've seen it. That same club in the past where, you know, we've questioned the coach's licensing. Um, how important is it that we get that right? And then obviously going further than that, getting youth structures right. Because um, at the end of the day, we need to nurture these players. And if it doesn't start at club level, um, where, where is it going to start? Uh, look, um, it's a very interesting point that you're bringing. Um, you know, and and for me, um, I've always maintained uh, that uh, whilst commercially we are one of the best leagues on the continent, if not uh, the best, um, but when it comes to uh, the technical vision, you know, um, and, and and sometimes I, I wonder how um, this even dominates the talk um, of those who are in power, you know. The footballing side of things, you know, um, it's it's just one area that for me is worrying me that um, we don't seem to be prioritizing it, and I think um, the issue of um, club licensing, yes, it becomes very important. Yeah, and I know that our club licensing is rated highly on the continent when you look at. Um, because club licensing, I think it's got five key pillars. You know, it's the financial side, it's the legal side, it's the infrastructure, um, but also um, it's got the sporting element, you know, which is the footballing side. And this is where I feel that that's where we're failing. We're very poor um, in, in that space. Uh, be it at SAFA or be it at PSL, um, that's one area. But the issue of uh, selling of statuses, um, and fortunately at, at Safja, we, we, we have a series of 
um, online pressers. And one of the online pressers, we've hosted some current and also ex members um, of the PSL Exco. You know, and I remember we had a, a former PSL member, uh, Exco member, um, Jose Ferreira, and. I personally raised this matter to him. So for me, one thing you must understand, uh, AB, I come from an area in East London in the Eastern Cape where I've seen, uh, especially with pushbacks, you know, and, and, and I've seen what uh, the lack of funds and what it would do to a football club, you know, um, like pushbacks um, back then, but also maybe with pushbacks, not lack of funds person, maybe a bit of infighting as well. But I, I'm also privy um, to how um, people will be using family business, instead, uh, to run the club. And if you don't do that, um, it's got a potential to even collapse the club. The club goes bankrupt and everything actually with, with it is gone. You know? So the PSL model uh, allows for the buying and selling of statuses, you know? But one of the things that even Jose uh, was saying that they, it, it, it becomes a, a sticky and a tricky point for them as well to, is to say, how do you balance now? You know that uh, there's this financial challenges, but also now um, this is a club. I mean, if you take, for instance, a club like Bay United, which was bought in Polokwane, it became Polokwane City. Yeah. It's moving from 2,000 kilometers from that other side of the, of the country to up north, you know? And this is a club which, in fact, was also bought as a Marisbeck in KZN and moved to the Eastern Cape. And you find that in all these areas that are moving, um, it, is, it, it, is not, it is not just becoming status now, you know, um, on paper. But it's a club which has got a base and a split, some following, and all of a sudden, things must change just like that. So for me, that balance um, is still what is missing. I know ideally, we want to see what happened to Amazon, you know, which with a, just a change of ownership. And also, yes. it's important in, in this year as well. It's very important this year because there's been COVID-19 because I've, I've had people saying, but um, I mean, these clubs were doing nothing. Um, there was no football being played during lockdown, you know? Uh, no one had to be paid or no, there were no flights or accommodation, but there were salaries to be played, you know? And I don't know how many times we've emphasized that the two, 2 million or 2.2 million of the monthly grant, it is not enough. It is not enough to sustain a football club. You know yourself, uh, AB, you've worked at a football club. You know, uh, it is not enough. The business people running the club end up having to top up in terms of the operations of them. Yeah. Um, on, on Our people about you know um, it's, it's it's not an easy thing at all uh, this issue of um, this the selling of the status um, there are pros and cons to it and uh, I'm I'm very conflicted uh, because I can argue 
against it, but I, I can also argue for it. Yeah. Moving on to, to club owners, you touched on there. Um, obviously, a very wealthy club owner in South Africa, Patrice Monsepe. Um, he's running for, for CAF presidency. Uh, I read a very interesting article in the Daily Maverick uh, written by Mark Leeson, who's obviously a, very well known on the African continent. Um, you know, s- writing that Patrice has the backing of Gianni Infantino, um, giving reasons as to why. In your personal view, why would a guy like Patrice Motsepe, who, I mean, he's got his own wealth, he's got his finger in a lot of pie, pies around the African continent and across the world, in fact, um, why would a guy like him be running for CAF pres- presidency and do you see it as a good thing if he were to win? Ah, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. I think um, it could happen that um, Gianni has been dealing with a lot of these FA club presidents um, for a very, in fact, FA presidents for for some time now, and um, he feels that when it comes to capacity. Um, is not content with what um, he's been getting from them, um, and and also um, you you know very well that uh, Gianni Infantino was very much involved in the ascendancy of uh, Ahmad Ahmad um, to the current position that he holds now, you know. Uh, but back then, uh, you also recall that um, there was that uh, policy at CAF that only those who are within uh, the CAF exco. Uh, can stand uh, for presidency. But now that uh, the rules have changed, so he's opting for uh, something different. There is a feeling um, in the footballing um, structures, um, especially on the continent, that um, it's not just Patrice who uh, who seems to be uh, in the same area that um, Infantino is thinking about, there's also the Mauritanian Mohamed Yaya, you know, um, who's a plan B for, who's, who's alleged to be a plan B um, for FIFA in case um, the, 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 the plan of, um, uh, in, in fact, of uh, Petrus Mosipa doesn't, doesn't come through, you know. So which also becomes uh, another interesting one as well. Uh, but also, um, remember, all of this is done with the premise of um, thinking that uh, also due to the scandals um, which are surrounding uh, the incumbent, uh, Ahmad, that uh, come the 12th of March next year in Morocco, um, he will not be there on the final day going to the ballot, um, the ballot paper. But I think um, one of the things to seriously look at here is that uh, there's a lot of power play. Uh, around this thing, when um, when this started, uh, there's that council uh, of um, um, zonal unions. Uh, in, in 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 our case, it's Kosafa in, in Southern Africa. Um, they came out to say they are fully behind Ahmad Ahmad, and uh, and they said there's about uh, 46 um, FA presidents. Uh, who are behind Ahmad. Remember, we've got 54 mm. uh, members um, in Africa who are members of CAF, 54 countries, that is. 
But if you if you can count or really the countries behind uh, countries behind Mutsipe, uh, South Africa, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, Etomo, Botswana, I think there are more countries to come up. And already Augustine Senghor from uh, uh, from Senegal is already backed by Senegal. I think there's Gambia as well. There's Gabon. I think there's another uh, fourth country backing him. And uh, Mohamed Yaya, there are some few countries also backing him. Um, Jacques Anoma uh, as well um, from from Ivory Coast. I think there's uh, three or four countries also backing him as well. And then you ask yourself, if uh, that <laughs> union, <laughs> or the zonal unions are saying there's 46 countries. So you, you see that you can't trust, you know. So, but this this... These are the dynamics of African football. These are the dynamics of um, football elections, which is also politics, uh, uh, by the way. And, and, and also, if you want to see how strong is the candidature of, uh, of, um, uh, of uh, Pontus Mutsipe, uh, Augustine Senghor of uh, Senegal came out this week um, in what is seen as also lambasting um, uh, this campaign um, of, of Mutsipe trying to position it as a campaign of, uh, because he's a billionaire, um, of just using money, but uh, he doesn't have enough experience on a day-to-day running of the game at FA level or continental level. So now you could see that he knows who the front runner is yeah. and who, you understand? So, but these are the politics. But um, you will also recall that uh, in the past few years in, in particular, um, especially when Kef tried to bring closer the likes of uh, Mutsipe, the likes of um, Moise Katumbi, the owner of uh, Tipi Mazembe. Um, and this is when now uh, Infantino got to be closer uh, to these leading football club owners in Africa. And to an extent that if you recall that video where there was also uh, Donald Trump as well, you know? Um, so you could see, oh, okay. So um, there's been this close contact uh, between Mutsipe and Infantino. And you don't know some of the things that would have been discussed there, you know? So so it, it, it's going to be very interesting. But whether um, he's in this for the long run, will he make it to the ballot paper, Mutsipe? I don't know. Uh, in football, things change a lot. And is he really the right person to turn around African football? Even there, I don't know. But I think um, we must not take this lightly because we don't know where it started. Um, I remember hearing from some of those who are said to be in the, in, in, the, in the campaign team, and they did say that they took long to convince him, but once he got convinced, he believed that this is the right decision um, that is taking. But I think there was an expectation also that he will not be challenged. Or if he's challenged, maybe it will just be him and Ahmad, and Ahmad along the way falls away. But things have changed now. The script has changed now. Uh, because even someone like, like Augustine Senghor is alleged to be someone who's come into the picture um, in case he's a plan B for Ahmad's camp. In case Ahmad uh, doesn't uh, go the long way, uh, Augustine Senghor will inherit the votes which were promised to Augustine Senghor. Yeah, all very, very interesting. Lily, if we could just finally touch on uh, the big game in Africa coming up this month, um, CAF Champions League final. 
not only big for for Akhli, but I think big for a lot of South Africans um, because of Pizza Mosamani. Um, having, you know, worked in South African football for eight years now, I mean, I worked a lot with Pizza and it's incredible what he achieved at Sundowns. And I think we all feel, you know, a bit affiliated to him. And then when he succeeds, I think as South Africans, we're quite patriotic and feel like we succeeded as well. Uh, well how do you see that game going? Um, our Akhli obviously are, are desperate for what would be a ninth CAF Champions League title that brought in a guy that have, has won it before. How do you see that match going and how important is, is this for African coaches on the continent? Um, you know, this is a, a line in the sand, so to speak. Um, and, you know, Pizza can go a long way in opening the door for African coaches uh, on the African continent. They don't get bigger than this one. Um, in Egypt, they already, uh, in fact, long before he even reached the final, long before he even arrived in Egypt, um, when it was confirmed that he was coming, they were already calling him the ninth man. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you must understand how they've always been looking forward to this ninth title. Uh, the last time um, Al-Ali won the title, uh, it was back in 2013, and they beat a certain team, yeah. uh, you know. And so they've been on that number eight for a very long time now. It's been seven years. And it doesn't happen that they wait this long to add. So already they call him the ninth man. And some, in fact, even go as far as saying they believe that um, he's also the man to, uh, to, to take them to that magical uh, double digits when it comes to the continental um, uh, premium club competition um, on the continent, um, the CAF Champions League. And, and also, I think uh, it really happens that uh, these two giants also get to meet in, in, in this final, you know, uh, in the Kev Champions League final. So there's a lot of stake here. Um, yes, uh, Al-Ali has been dominating um, in Egypt, you know, um, but also um, I, I think, especially under Pacheco now, this uh, Zamalek team is looking quite good. Uh, you saw how they brushed aside a, a stronger um, team currently in, in Casablanca, Raja, you know. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be a very interesting game, but it's also at a time when um, everyone around Al-Ali is raving about Pizzo, you know. Um, not only just taking them to the Champions League final, but also the brand of football that they're playing as well, you know, um, because uh, Egyptians, um, especially between those two clubs, there is people who are also conscious of the kind of football that they play. You know, uh, yeah. they don't just pay those big bucks to players for nothing. You know, um, so so next week's game brings a lot of goosebumps. You know, um, not only to us as South Africans, but to the entire sub-Saharan Africa. You know. Um, to the number of coaches. Pizzo is just, I think, one of uh, only few coaches on the continent uh, who's currently enrolling for uh, the inaugural um, CAF Pro license, you know? Uh, so when you look at Pizzo, when you look at coaches like uh, Florendi Benge, uh, you look at a number of coaches, Jamel Belmadi, you know, um, are, are around the continent, Ali Osise, you know, uh, these are the coaches who are enrolling for that CAF Pro license because it becomes the flagship um, of coaching on the continent. So to see a coach like that um, finding himself in this position that Peter finds himself in now, uh, I think 
in terms of even if maybe a prayer is something that can be bought. We're all buying those prayers, you know, for him right now that he succeeds because when he succeeds, it is not just for him only. It's also for the millions um, of football players um, and millions uh, of uh, those who aspire to also play football or to, to even coach or even to work around football or to, to manage that Africans can also achieve this. Uh, at the very highest level uh, that we don't need uh, to ignore the talent and we need to give our coaches a chance, you know? Uh, and, and, and for me, this is where um, if a coach like Pizzo can be given a chance uh, by a, a giant in African football like Al-Ali, it also means that it's, it's high time that we open our eyes as well here in South Africa and consider looking, uh, because coaching is just like players. You need to scout for good coaches. You know, sure. uh, even here locally, you need to scout uh, for, 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 for good coaches. You don't, you don't have to be a name uh, to be a coach because in South Africa, there's this notion that, uh, you know, you must be known. And you, <laughs> we must go and find good coaches. Uh, you can find a good coach uh, and mold him, you know, uh, from the ABC Mutsepe, from the National First Division, or even from the lower divisions of that, you know, and... and and groom a, a, a coach. And I think someone like Pietro, um, whose certificates, by the way, are KEF and SAFA certificates, local certificates, you know? Uh, he might, uh, in terms of uh, the bigger pages, yes, he might have attended, uh, because you know that uh, from the formative uh, stages of his, his coaching, he spent a lot of time also traveling to, uh, to Holland. You know, yeah. yes, he might be. He might have spent time there and there in Europe, and also he played in Europe as well. That's why he started coaching in in, in Greece as well. But you must also know that um, he's a proudly um, suffer product um, when it when it comes to coaching, um, and 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 so this is why um, I know that there's that debate. We opened with it, and I'm, I'm closing with it. There's that debate, and uh, I was reading. In fact, I was even yesterday. And, and that's why one of the coaches, I think um, the former coach of Switzerland, De Jong, is coaching Platinum since that's why. Because it's very clear there in the CAF uh, regulations uh, for Champions League and for CAF Confed that a coach must have a CAF license to coach yeah. in CAF matches. Yeah. Well, we wish Pizza all the best. Um, Valile, we appreciate your, your insight and your knowledge in the game. And I hope to see you in the stadium in the very near future. Uh, stay stay safe and, and go well. I hope uh, that uh, the PSL will soon allow us um, to be uh, in, in the stadium and cover matches uh, like we've been covering Jirumbafana matches. Uh, I think it's, it's the right thing to do now. I mean, uh, if we can practice issues of social distancing and all the other protocols that come with uh, um, these regulations of COVID-19, so I, I see no reason why uh, we can attend matches. I know that the fans are also looking forward to that, but I think as, as the media, uh, because you must think about this, uh, AB, how do we report about the game? The games are not even on TV. You know, how do we report about them? So now it means that if we can't report about those games and we're all guessing about what happened, then we're taking the standard back. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Well, Vilile, go well and stay safe. And thanks again for your time. In next week's episode, we'll be joined by another prominent name in South African soccer circles as we preview the upcoming Glad Africa Championship season. 
set to get underway in Cape Town on the 27th of November. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to discuss on Biscuit Discussions, please hit me up at ab underscore basson on Twitter or on Instagram. Aware and keep safe.